weekend. I heard you guys are doing some great work on Wednesday night on Bible study. I want to commend everybody who responded and began to step up and begin to come to Bible study. I thank you for that. I bless you for that. And I pray that you will see um, an increase in your life as a result of being obedient. There is just absolutely a blessing in being obedient. One of the things we were talking to our kids about yesterday is that, um, you know, grace has brought us into this place of freedom. Turn to your neighbor and say, through grace, you're free. But just because it's lawful doesn't mean it benefits you. And what it means by that, we were talking to our kids about there are movies that you could see and those movies aren't seen. But how do those movies help you live the life that God has called you to live? And so you can be in fellowship with God and not come to church on a regular basis. But is that expedient to your growth as a believer? You're still saved. But how does that help you get to the place of abundant life? If truth is found in the word of God. If there, and if there is power in not forsaking yourselves together. So you have to remember that as a believer, you're free to do whatever you want to do, and God won't interfere with your choice. Tell your neighbor, say, God will not interfere with your choice. But tell your neighbor, say, but every choice doesn't produce life. And so you've got to begin to ask yourself when you're making choices, when you're like, how does this take me to where it is that I say that I want to go? Is this choice taking me closer to the life that God has for me? Or is this choice taking me further away from the life that God has for me? And when you begin to anchor your life in that way, you will see there is just a part of living in your dream and living the place that God has for you that requires a certain amount of discipline in order for you to be able to do it. If you want to be a marathon runner, there's a way you have to discipline yourself. That's different than if you want to be a sprinter. That's different than if you want to be a football player. That's different than if you want to be a golfer. And so you have to begin to anchor your life based on what it is you believe is the will of God for your life. And I believe that as you begin, and I believe that obedience is the first place that you get to do that. There are times that God asks you to do something that you don't really understand why it's necessary for you to do that. But one of the things I found is that as you walk with the Lord is that God doesn't always give you the details. He just needs you to follow the instruction. And as you begin to walk with him, he begins to unfold the decisions and why you need to do what you do. So I really encourage you this morning as we get ready to get into the word that you begin to really to not just come to church, but to really even in your everyday life, ask yourself the question, how does this decision take me to the abundant life? How is this taking me to the place that God wants me to go? How is this positioning me to live the way that God wants me to live? And when you begin to anchor your decisions by that, then you will find that, number one, your choices get a lot easier. And you, the choices stop being grievous. And so I really encourage you to do that this morning. We're going to talk. I'm going to change gears a little bit this morning. I want to talk to you guys about, um, I, I feel like the praise team set us up so nicely. The Bible says that all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. All the promises of God, they are yes. Everything that God has promised, the answer is yes. So it's really simple. It's like, God, do you want me to have a job that pays enough money for my bills? Yes. All the promises of God are yes and amen. God, do you want me to be in a happy relationship? Yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. God said, it was God who said it's not good that man should be alone. I'll give him a helpmate that's suitable to him. 
God, do you want me to be wealthy? Deuteronomy 8 and 18. I've given you the power to create wealth. Yes, I want you to be wealthy. God, do you want me to be healthy? Yes, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So all of the promises of God are yes and amen. And how many of you could say that you believe that God is good? Amen? Well, let's try that again. How many of you believe that God is good? The Bible says then every good and perfect gift comes from God. The Bible says in Psalms 84 and 11, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. And we learn from the teaching that Pastor Edwin has been giving us that our uprightness doesn't come from our perfection. It comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. So no good thing is he withholding from those that walk with Jesus. Anybody in here walk with Jesus? But there has to be a shift in your mind where you expect to experience the goodness of God every day of your life. Say, I expect to experience the goodness of God every day of my life. There's a scripture that says, I would have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe it's Lamentations 3 where it says that. It is God's will for you to experience his goodness every day. It is God's will for you to experience his goodness in every area. It is not God's will for you to be beat up and beat down and torn by life. It's not God's will for you to spend year after year struggling to pay your bills or having the same problem in your marriage or not being able to resolve things in your relationship. That is not the will of God. It is the will of God for you to live an abundant life. Let's look at John 10 and 10. There are things you have to solidify in order to be able to believe to live the will of God for your life. There are things you cannot be struggling about anymore as it regards to God. There are things you must settle. Tell your neighbor there are things you must settle. A lot of people would say that God is good, but I challenge you to take it further. You must believe that God is good to you. Not good in the abstract, but that God desires to be good to you. Because your belief about who God is will determine what you can receive from God. Whoever you believe God is, that's how you will manifest him in the earth. John 10 and 10, it says, the thief's purpose, his, what's his purpose? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Every bit of stealing, every bit of destruction, every bit of taking in your life has come from the enemy. He says, identify the source. Well, how do you know that God didn't put me in this situation? James 1 says, let no man say when he is tempted of evil that it came from God. Let's look at that because maybe you haven't seen that. James 1. Go ahead and say it again. Say God is good. To me. God is good to me, and all the time, God is good to me. There is never a situation in my life where God is not looking to be good to me. There is never a mess that I have gotten myself into that God is not looking to get me out of. God is good to me. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and from the earth looking for someone that he can show himself strong on. Everybody's like, he can show himself strong on my behalf. No, he shows himself strong on the man that has faith in his goodness. Pastor John, how do we know that bad stuff doesn't come from God? It's in the word. James 1. 
James 1, verse 13. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, for which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now, it says this. It says, "The, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And then James says, if you endure the temptation of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy, you will receive the crown of life. He says, the, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Verse 13, it says, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. You ought to underline that and settle that for yourself. Whatever bad has happened in your life did not come from God. Go ahead and say that out loud. Say, whatever bad has happened in my life did not come from God. And for believers, that's a thing that believers are still trying to settle, which interferes with your ability to receive from God. Let no man say when calamity comes, it came from God. For God is not evil, neither can he tempt with evil. So God doesn't bring you a woman to see if you'll cheat with her just to see how strong you are. And God don't send you to the mall just to see if you're strong enough not to spend money that you know you can't spend. And God don't have you walking through with somebody trying to get them to get their life that if you just go ahead and stay on in there with them a little while, they'll turn around and after a while you'll get the crown of life. That's not what God does. Now, can you get a good relationship out of that if you're willing to stand? If they're willing to change. But that's not the will of God for your life. Everything that God has for you, it is good. When you begin to understand this, then when God asks you to do something, you begin to say, it's for my good. That's the reason people struggle fasting, because they don't realize it's for your good. God don't need to fast. He got a breakthrough. He got all the answers he needs. It says, when there are things that don't come out of your life, these things come out but by prayer and fasting. So he gave fasting to us for our good. He gave prayer to us for our good. He gave the ability to spend time in the word to us for our good. A wife is for your good. A job is for your good. Even the discipline that God asks us to have regarding what we eat is for our good. Everything, tithing is for your good. The Bible promises in Malachi, it says that if you are a tither, you will be recession proof. That's what Malachi says. It says, if you are a tither, you will be recession proof. How do you know it says that? It says that the enemy will not be able to steal what you have put your hand to. So the tithe is for my good. It makes me recession proof. But sadly, so many believers don't understand that what God is asking us to do. It's for our good. And so we fight the very, we all want the good life. How many of you want the good life? We want the good life. It's like being in a situation where someone is, um, is they're drowning and they need you to save them and they're fighting you while you're trying to save them. Our disobedience is fighting the Lord who's trying to get to us the very thing that we want, which is the good life. Hallelujah. So let's look at um, 3 John 2. Third John 2. These are scriptures that we know. But there are things you got to settle in your heart about who God is to be able to receive the best that God has to offer. 
Third John, it says, beloved, above, above all things, I wish that you would. I need you to switch that to the King James for me, please. Beloved, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And he gives us a secret here. He says, God wants you to prosper. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants you to prosper. Tell your neighbor, say, God has invested everything he has in your prosperity. God has invested everything he has in your prosperity. He is your biggest investor. He has put all of the money on the line, all of the resources on the line. He is invested in your prosperity. He wishes, he prays, he has positioned you to prosper. But then he gives you a secret and he says the only way that you can prosper is according to your soul prospering. And if your soul does not believe that God is good, you will not receive the goodness of the Lord. Even though the goodness of the Lord is all around you. Turn it to your neighbor and say, the goodness of the Lord is all around you. People get miracles every day. People get breakthrough every day. People get jobs every day. People experience restoration and healing every day. The goodness of the Lord is all around you. Say, I expect to experience the goodness of the Lord. You got to challenge yourself when it says be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Do you get up expecting to experience the goodness of the Lord? I don't just mean do you get up expecting to be able to breathe and expecting to be able to walk, but do you expect to encounter the goodness of the Lord that reminds you that you belong to him as you walk throughout the day? I expect to experience the goodness of God. Why? Because all of his promises are yes and amen. Let's go to Psalms 103. Sometimes you just need a little refresher because you begin to understand that you're in bondage because of your thinking. You're not moving forward because of your thinking. So the moment I can change my thinking, I can change my life. Make this confession. Say, I am not stuck. Make this confession. Say, I can move anytime I get ready. You can change your situation anytime you get ready. You can make a de- I'm going to show you in scripture after we look at this. I'm a- you can make a decision to change in an instant and all of heaven will back you. Psalms 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. What are we blessing him for? And then he says, don't just bless his name in verse 2. He says, bless his name and what? Forget not what? All his benefits. Now, everybody know when you get a new job, once you know the salary, what's the next thing you want to know? What's the benefit? This Bible reveals your benefits. Salvation is your salary. But the rest of this stuff, It's your benefits. And the reality of it is, is that two people can work at a job and have the same salary and one person partake in benefits that the other person never know because they never read the benefit packet. He says, bless the Lord and don't forget about his benefits. Now, you know, we call a good employer is one who gives good benefits. The employer who gives you holidays off. 
the employer who pays you for vacation. Who do we like best, the employer who pays us for vacation after three years or the employer who pays us for vacation the first year? He says, don't forget his benefits. Don't forget his benefits. And then he begins to tell us, what does he do? He forgives all of our iniquities. Say, I'm forgiven. That means you're not just forgiven for your sins. You are forgiven for the generational curses that came through your bloodline. Because iniquities are not just sin. They now represent what comes through the bloodline. He says, so if your, if, if your family has a history of anger, you forgiven that. That's not yours. Don't forget the benefits you've been redeemed from that. He says, if your family has struggled with poverty, he says, that's not your benefit anymore. He says, don't forget the benefit of being in my family. That the iniquities of my father. In Deuteronomy, it says this. It says that when a man sin, his sin goes to his third generation. And then Jesus comes and says, no, no, no. But mercy extends to a thousand generations. So you got what your daddy did trying to follow you. But what Jesus doing is trumping what your, what your daddy did. If you will receive what's been done. He says, don't forget the benefits. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. He heals all of my diseases, all of my diseases. He doesn't just heal what's physically wrong with me. He wants to heal the thing in my soul that lets me be physically sick. He heals all of my diseases. Hallelujah. He redeems my life from destruction. I love this. And for those of you who have kids, this is a scripture that, I mean, if, especially if you have kids and they're not living the way you want them to live, this is a scripture you ought to be prophesying over them. You are redeemed from destruction. You are absolutely redeemed from destruction. Why? Because I believe the goodness of the Lord. How many of you know personally you've been redeemed from destruction? See, it works. How many of you know you've been redeemed from destruction when you didn't deserve to be redeemed from destruction? How many of you can testify that there are some things that you escaped that you know belong to you? Now, you don't have some things that happen to you that shouldn't happen to you, but I want to talk to you about the stuff that you know you should have got that. He redeems our life from destruction. Now, somebody ought to say amen to that. I have absolutely been redeemed from destruction. That means no plan of the enemy can work. That means I don't have to be moved by the plan of the enemy. It won't work. I've been redeemed from destruction. If I make my bed in hell, there he will come and get me. I've been redeemed from destruction. Hallelujah. Then he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. And then I love this verse. He satisfies our mouth with what? Are you awake this morning? Are you hearing what the word of the Lord is saying to you? He satisfies your mouth with good things. What's good to you? And he created so much diversity that what's good to you don't have to be what's good to me. You can be satisfied by steak while somebody else can be satisfied by Mexican food. You can be satisfied by being an architect while somebody else is satisfied by being a stay-at-home mom. He satisfies your mouth with good things. Say, I expect to experience the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah. 
And then listen to why he does it. He says, I satisfy your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So I do it to be good to you. Because it ought to just be a mark of believers that nobody guesses your real age. He says, I renew your youth like the eagle. So it ought to just be like at some point, nobody can really gauge that when you say, I'm 40 and I got five kids, people go, no, you don't have five kids. You don't look like somebody who got five kids on their life. He renews our youth like the eagles. What am I doing? Faith comes by hearing. To receive the goodness of God, I got to hear about the goodness of God. Tell your neighbor, say, God is good. God isn't just keeping good. God is promoting good. God ain't just holding pattern just $32 because your water bill is $32. He is over and abundantly, exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, ever imagined or dreamed of good. God is good. He is absolutely good. Selah, God is good. Because until you settle this, nothing else matters. God ain't trying to punish you for your past. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He's not going to even punish you for what you do today. Come on now. That's what it says. If you keep going in this. Hallelujah. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. The Lord, that's why, that's how you know that's how you ought to be with other people. Because he says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Freely you have received, now freely give. He will not always chide, neither does he keep his anger forever verse 10 he has not dealt with us after our sin he has not dealt with us after our sin nor rewarded us according to our generational curses for as the heaven is high above the earth so great is the mercy uh, his mercy toward them that fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he moved his transgressions from our transgressions from us so the financial mistake i made last month is not supposed to follow me into this month and the relationship mistake that i made yesterday it's not supposed to follow me into to tomorrow because he has intentionally not rewarded me according to my sin nor dealt with me after my iniquities. He has intentionally separated my transgressions from me. He doesn't even see my transgressions when he's dealing with me. God is good. Turn to your name and say, God is good. I'm setting you up from something. How are you ever going to believe to receive the abundant life if you don't settle that God is good? See, because this is so important to living your destiny and living your purpose and living your dreams. If you don't settle that God is good, when God puts something in your heart, you don't really believe God wants to give it to you. God is good. 
Now, the Bible just says that all the promises of God are yes and amen. It just gives us some of his promises. Let's look at Psalms 81. I mean, Psalms 84. Let's actually look at Psalms 84 and 11. Are you learning anything this morning? This will change your life. And when you understand the goodness of God, it doesn't release you to sin. It makes you want to walk with him. You like, my God, you would do all that for me? When I was jacked up, you were still making good plans for me? Psalms 84 and 11. He said, it's not working right now. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and mercy. No good thing. Did you hear what I said? You believing for a car, wondering why you ain't got a car. God ain't withholding a car. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. Why don't I have anybody that I can be in a relationship with? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. But here's the thing. When you trust God, you can walk away from what he says no to. Why? Because you've absolutely settled that it's not a good thing. See, me and Pastor Dan were talking about this on the way down here. Some people try to make something be a good thing. There's a difference between a good thing and making something a good thing. You go make him a good man. When everything about him show you. Not that he don't have potential, but he ain't tapped into his potential yet. And he don't want to do nothing no more than what he's doing right now, but you go make him a good man. Or you go make her a good woman. Or you go make that job fit. Or you go make that situation work. But when I know that God is good, it's so easy for me to embrace. I don't know if I said this here or if I said this in in Northwest Arkansas. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Pastor Elwin is that Pastor Elwin really does believe. When Pastor Elwin talk about how if you, that you ought to at least make your age. And if you good, you ought to make more. Like, he believes that. I watch him. Like, he'll read the job description. He'll be like, oh, this is an amazing job. He'll see the salary. He'll be like, this ain't my job. Like, he's settled on that, that he can have both, a job that he loves and money. That's what he believes that God has for him. Now, some of y'all not settled in that place yet. You think that in order to get money, you got to do something that you don't want to do or in order to do something that you love, you can't get paid for. But he's settled in that. And and I, But I, because he so believes in the goodness of God that God is not withholding this thing, I have watched him walk away from jobs that would have paid him more money than he ever made because he trusted God when God said, this ain't good for you. And when you trust the goodness of God, you don't feel you have to take everything that's offered. And I just want to parenthetically insert that that's the reason some of y'all date losers. Because you don't trust the goodness of God, and so you believe that you have to settle for anything that comes your way. That's the reason that some of y'all, you hold on to people who have not given you the commitment that you know your heart desires. Because you don't trust God's willingness to be good to you. And I am preaching, as Cameron tweeted the other day, I am preaching way better than you saying amen. 
you got to settle that God is good. Tell your neighbor, say, God is not withholding any good thing from you. Sometimes the best thing in your life is that he don't ask you to marry him because you crazy enough to say yes. And that, right, that's why God don't let him ask. And every time you at the mall, you over there trying to look at the wedding. Just stop. Keep walking. No good thing will he withhold from you that walk upright. Let's, okay, I want to look at, um, let's look at um, Hebrews 11. My thinking about God must be challenged. I must dig up the imaginations that make me think that God is not good. Most people in the church won't consciously say that God won't good, isn't good. But when you believe that God will have you to live a life that's less than this life that God has promised, in your heart you believe that God isn't good. Because if you believe that God was good, you would go after what God said belonged to you. You wouldn't settle for anything less than what God has said to you. Doesn't mean you're not thankful for where you are. But one of the things you got to be so careful about doing as a believer is building a house where there only should have been a tent. Getting stuck in a place that was just supposed to be a transition place for you. Because, but because you don't believe God for the next place, you're stuck there. I'll give you a great example. You know, there may be a season in your life where God caused you to work two jobs in order to do something. But it ain't the will of God for you to be working two jobs for 20 years. Why? Because the Bible says that God wants you to spend time with your family. He wants you to enjoy life. You can't enjoy life working two full-time jobs. Your whole life is work. Amen. Hebrews 11. Verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. So if my faith is not in God's grace, if my faith is not in God's goodness, then I don't really have anything to hope for. I got to believe in the goodness of God that trumps my own ability. Do you hear what I'm saying? I must believe in God's goodness even when my performance doesn't deserve, require his goodness. Me and Pastor Elwin were talking about this. We were talking about the number of people who like are checking this perfection box to get a good relationship. And that just ain't the way it works. You get a God relationship from God because you believe God for a God relationship. And then God work out stuff while you married. I, I read this stuff where people are like, if you want to marry somebody, you got to be the cook and do all of this stuff. When I met Pastor Ellen, I could cook spaghetti, turkey sandwiches, and frosted flakes. That's what he happened to like. And it worked out. And I remember saying to him, I can't cook. He was like, I ain't marry you because you can cook. But it wasn't, but but if my heart had been like, oh, I want to be a gourmet cook, then God would have lined me up with somebody who thought it was amazing to eat all that and try all that. But that wasn't my heart's desire. When my kids move out, I don't even need a kitchen. Right. We we could not have a kitchen. When my kids move out, I don't like I just need a place like to put some water and some juice. That, that's okay. That's okay with him. Because God will give you your heart's desire. Your good thing. 
He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In verse 6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe what? That he is what? You got to believe two things when you come to God. What's the two things you got to believe to God? That he is. Now, most Christians get this. Everybody believe that God is. Everybody believe that God exists. But what's the second part of that? That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's why I can go to Matthew 7 and it says, ask and keep on asking because I believe you'll reward my asking. That's why I can put my hand to a dream and expect it to come to pass because I believe that he's a rewarder of them that keep that, that diligently seek him. Let's look at Jeremiah 29 and 11. Shout God is good. Say it again. Right, right. To me. We we went back up. God is good to me. God is good to me. Sean Strickland. I expect to see the favor of God in my life. Every day I expect benefits. Every day I expect his provision. Every day I expect him for him to do for me what I can't do for myself. And I expect him to help me do what I can do for myself the right way. So, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. One translation says, I know the thoughts I think to you. They are good. The thoughts that God thinks towards you are good. Say every thought that God has towards me is good. Because God is good. And because God is good, the only thing he can think about you is good. God is good. His thoughts toward me are good. Why is this so important? He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Those plans are to prosper you. Everything that God has for me is to set me up for the best life. Everything that God has instructed me to do is to set me up for the good life. Everything that God directs me to do, it's for my benefit. Go ahead and say that. Everything that God asks me to do is for my benefit. Let this shift your thinking. Everything that God asks me to do is for my benefit. This ought to shift some of your obedience walk right now. Like some things you go stop talking to God about and stop making it. So you're like, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that because that's for my benefit. That's to position me for good and not evil. That's to set me up to win. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants you to win. Everything that God has for you is for you to win. Why do you think God sent Jesus to die on the cross if it wasn't for you to win? I was born to win. Hello. First Corinthians two and nine. We're just walking through the word this morning. First Corinthians two, it says now in Jeremiah 29, we just read that. What are the thoughts of God towards us? 
Thank you, Bijou. What are the thoughts of God toward us? It's not a trick, trick question, guys. Lean over and tell your neighbor, say, the answer is good. All right. What are God's thoughts toward you? God's thoughts toward us are good and not evil. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of the man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. What are the things that God has prepared for us? They're good things. He says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Look at what he says. He says, God so wants to be good to you. And he knows that you don't have a clue of how good God wants to be to you. So he gave you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit would search the deep things of God so you could discover what was good for you. He says he knows that no matter what plans you have for your life, they wouldn't be as good as his plans for your life. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Now you think about how good you would treat yourself. God says my plans, they trump that. He said, and because you haven't seen and your ear hasn't heard what I prepared for you, he says, I sent the spirit to be in you to search inside of me to tell you what I really want for you. Amen. Say, God wants to take my life to another level. Now, now like that should be every day. Every day God wants us to experience more of his goodness. Every day we should be experiencing a dimension of God's goodness that we have not experienced the day before. He says, because you don't know how good I want to be to you. So I gave you my spirit to reveal to you how good I want to be to you. He said, because you would sell yourself short on how good I would be to you. He said, so I gave you my spirit so you wouldn't sell yourself short. So you would know the things that have been freely given to you. It says, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the things of God, no man knows but the spirit of God. But now we have received not the spirit of this world that we might not know the goodness of God, but we have to receive the spirit of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us. He says, it's not just enough for you to know in a general sense that I want to be good to you. He said, it is my desire that you walk with the Holy Spirit and know specific goodness that I have for your life. It is my desire to know that, I, that you're my goodness. I want you to know that whatever you think is good, I'll one up that. That I'll exceed your expectation at every time. When you lay out your best laid plans of what goodness is like, I'll take it someplace you've never imagined before. Then Matthew 13 tells us, because you got to tie all this together. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He says, your eye, your ear, no other man's eye or ear has seen. Hold on before, let's go to, let's read verse 14. Before we go, 2 Corinthians. Says now let's go back to verse 12 it says now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of god that we might know the things that are freely given to us which things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teach but which the holy ghost teaches comparing spiritual with spiritual now the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are not spiritually discerned 
but he that is spiritual judges all things yet himself is judged of no man for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ hold on let's talk about this right now he says part of the reason that you struggle to receive how good I want to be to you is because you see it from a natural mind he said because your natural mind can never conceive how good I'd be to you he said, because the fact that I would take you in spite of everything that you've done and still make your name great is foolishness to you because you know what you've done. The fact that I would use you, that I would, I would, the fact that I would take you from a family that had nothing and give you wealth. The fact that I would take you from a family that didn't have any good marriages and make your marriage an example. He says that's foolishness to your natural mind and your natural mind cannot perceive it. He says, and literally, he says, when I start talking about being good to you, you start telling me how foolish it is. How do we see it in the Bible? God says to, to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a baby. He says it to Sarah. She laughs. Why? She's measuring God's ability by her ability. She's measuring God's goodness by her goodness. He says, who has known the mind? He says, what? think about what he says. He says, how is your natural mind going to instruct the mind of God? He says, how are you going to limit what God has desired to do for you? Is anybody in here that's expecting God to do something good to them? Then get yourself out of the way. Get your natural thinking out the way. Get your own limited thinking out of the way and allow your thoughts to be conformed to what it is that God desires to do. Let's look at Matthew 13. Shout, I love the word. I love God. You ought to be so excited right now. Because whatever it is that you're dreaming about should go up another level. Me and Pastor Elmer were talking about this, that the marriage that we have now so exceeds what we even knew was possible. We didn't even, I mean, to be married and stay married and like each other most days was the most that we could hope for because we hadn't seen anything. And then God starts to put something in our heart that's different than what we've seen. And now we have a marriage that literally is days of heaven on earth because we could not have conceived it with our natural mind because we had no reference for it. Stop looking in the natural for a reference for what God desires to do for you. Look in the heart of God for a reference for what God desires to do. Stop looking at your natural to predict what God wants to do. Matthew 13, we're just going to start in verse 11. Now it says, we just, we, in 1 Corinthians, we just looked at it, it says that no man knows what God has prepared for you. Say, no one knows what God has prepared for me. Can I ask you a question then? Why would you ever let anybody talk you out of your dream? Why would you ever let anybody tell you what couldn't be done when God said that it could be done? Because let me tell you something, if you can see it, you can produce it. There are things all around you that somebody thought wasn't possible that's now a possibility, that's now a reality in your world because a man refused to give up on the fact of what was in his heart. 
In verse 11 of Matthew 13, it says, he answered, he says, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The mysteries are hidden in you. It's given to you to know the will of God for your life. Say, God wants me to know the will of God for my life. Here's the question. Do you want to know the will of God for your life? That's the question. Are you content to just go through the motions? Or do you really want to know what God put you on this planet for? Do you really want to know what, why, why has the enemy presented some of the challenges that he's presented to me? Who am I really that you would go out of your way to bring all those challenges to me? What has God placed on the inside? The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessel. What's contained on the inside of me that would make an enemy want to take me out? Who am I really? That's what I want to know, who my identity is in Christ. He says, it's given to you to know. Say, so you should know. For who, and then he says, for whoever has unto him shall be given, and he shall have more and more abundance. We talked about this, that you got to have a heart to know what God desires for you. When you get a heart to know what God desires for you, your heart can conceive more of what God desires for you. But as long as you have a heart that can't conceive that God desires good for you, then all you'll expect is to get a life like everybody else. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their ears and hear with, see with their, you see with your eyes. They said anytime you should see with your eyes and hear with your ears, they should understand with their heart and they should be converted and I should heal them. Now stay with me for a minute. He's saying to them, he's saying to them, the reason you cannot see how good God wants to be to you is because you have closed your eyes. And your ears have dull of hearing and your heart is wax gross. You've gotten so comfortable where you are and so comfortable just going to church and just being saved that you have dulled your heart to what God desires to do. He said, but anytime you decide you want to see, you will be able to see. And any time you decide you want to hear what God has for you, you'll be able to hear. He said, and when you see and when you hear, your heart will understand and you will be converted from this person who you are now to this person that God has created you to be. Hallelujah. I love this message because it says wherever I am at any time, I could be somewhere else. At any time, I can say, God, open my heart to be able to see, to be able to hear, to be able to understand. Give me a, in spite of how bad my marriage is today, give me a revelation of what good marriage is. And anytime I can see it and I can hear it, I can create it. Give me a revelation of what it looks like to work a job that I love that pays me enough money. Because anytime I see it, if I see it, if I hear it and conceive it in my heart, I can create it. The whole desire of man is that we're created in the image of God. We have the ability to create. And we only create out of what's in our heart. So he says, get God's goodness in your heart and you'll create something different. Amen. 
So what do I have to do? How do I begin to create this? Because this is important. I got to start saying what God is saying. When God begins to reveal in my heart what he's called me to do, when he, when he begins to, he, I, in the beginning, I may not know. In the beginning, we didn't know specifics. We just knew that God wanted us to live an abundant life. We begin to thank God for living an abundant life. And we begin to acknowledge that the stuff in our life that wasn't abundant didn't come from God. We begin to thank God for increasing us and giving us revelation for our path for the abundant life. We changed our confession. And as we changed our confession, let's look at this scripture. Let's look at Romans 10. I'm almost done. We're going to start at verse 1 because we have to read a little bit because I want you to be able to get an understanding of this. It says in Romans 10 and 1, it says, Brethren, this is Paul. He's talking and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for Israel, is that they might be saved. He said, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In the Amplified, it says, They have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but it is not enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. He says, and being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Remember, we said that God will not withhold anything according to them that walk upright. He says, when you are ignorant of the righteousness of God, the way that God makes one acceptable to himself, he says, then they went out and they began to create their own righteousness. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness, which is of law that the man which does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, it says, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, which is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is not thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, This thing that God has promised, it seems so lofty to the people that the people said, who's going to go up into heaven and bring this down for us? And he said, Jesus has already gone, come from heaven and brought this down from us and dealt with sin. He says, so now your righteousness is in Christ. This word of faith that we preach. So my right standing to receive the goodness of God is not based on me. It's based on God. It's called grace. My ability to live the abundant life is not based on me. It's based on God. My obedience is just simply saying I trust God's grace toward me. My faith is simply trusting God's grace and goodness toward me. And then he says, he says, this word is nigh unto, your ma- unto thee. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. Which is the word of preach? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture has said, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Understand when they wrote this scripture that salvation was never just about going to heaven. Salvation was always about bringing heaven into earth. He says, so how does a man get saved? He believes in his heart unto right standing with God. And then he begins to confess what it is that he believes. Are you understand what I'm saying this morning? So he says, just like you accepted Jesus to deal with hell, your belief about the word of God on any situation will bring your deliverance. And that's how you get abundant life. He says, so when you see that your finances don't look like what God said, don't say what your finances look like. Say what God said. Get it in your heart until your heart believes unto righteousness and begin to confess what you believe and you will be delivered. He says, for which your heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Go to Deuteronomy 30. That's why the Bible says whom the son sets free is free indeed. Because righteousness gets in. Once righteousness gets in my heart and I begin to confess what it is that God is saying, I will see what God has said. Tell your neighbor, say, I will see the goodness of the Lord. Now, I don't know what you're going to see with your life. I hope that you will see the goodness of the Lord. But I know that if you get this word in your heart, your life will be transformed by it. In Deuteronomy 30, this same situation. Let's look at verse 12. Let's look at verse 11. Sorry, let's look at verse 10. It says, if you obey the voice of the Lord to keep his statutes and commandments, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and all of your being, for this commandment which I command you is not too difficult for you, nor is it far off. It is not a secret laid up in heaven that you should say who shall go up into heaven and bring it down to us that we may know it neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who shall go over the sea and bring it for us that we may hear it and do it for the word is very near to you it's in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart so you can do it see i have set before you today life and good death and evil If you obey this procedure, this process, this law of getting God's word in your heart so that it transforms you and you speak it out of your mouth, if you obey this, then you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the place that he sent you to go. But if your mind and your heart turn away and you will not hear and drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, then you will perish. I declare that you will perish and you will not live long in this land that God, that when you pass over in the Jordan. Verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness this day. In the, King James, in the King James, it says to record. I call heaven and earth to record 
this day. What? That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live, that thou may lovest the Lord thy God, and thou may obey his voice, that you may cleave unto him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwelleth in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying your belief system is going to determine what's in your heart. Your heart is going to determine what comes out of your mouth. He said, and your mouth is going to say stuff that both heaven and earth will record. He said, and heaven and earth are recording whether you are choosing life or whether you are choosing death. And heaven will not interfere if you choose death. But when you choose what God has chosen, all of heaven will back you. See, what you don't understand is that the one thing God won't take away from you is your right to choose. So if you choose not to live this amazing life, God won't take that away from you. But if you decide that I am going to live the life that God put me here to live, all of heaven will back you. How will heaven know when to back you? They will listen for your words. How does earth know what to release to you? It listens to your words. How does heaven know what kind of man to send to you? It listens to your words. How does heaven know what kind of job to bring to you? It pays attention to your words. It records your words. And then when you ask for something, it plays it back and says, this is what must come to you based on your confession. So you are saved or you are condemned by your confession. In Matthew 12 and 12 and 34 it says for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks you will never speak consistently anything different that's in your heart that's why i'm trying to get you stared today to believe in the goodness of god for your life because if you don't believe in the goodness of god you won't speak the goodness of god and when you don't have money for a bill you don't expect the bill to come through you don't expect supernatural favor you don't expect an answer you expect to just make it in the dark till you get paid again but if you expect the goodness of god you will expect favor to show up where it ought not be favor because you believe in the goodness of God when you believe in the goodness of God you talk about what he's done when you believe it's about you you talk about what you've done he says so I'm setting before you life and death what are you saying that's the reason you ought not miss confession in prayer because in confession and prayer, we're setting the atmosphere saying, here's what we expect. We expect to see the goodness of God in service. We expect signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's why some people come in here and get signs, wonders, and miracles. And some people ain't come in here and just get teaching and go home. Because what I believe in my heart is what I will get. My life can never go beyond what I believe in my heart. So when my heart doesn't believe for goodness, I hear word that changes my heart so that my heart will get full of what God is saying so I can say what God is saying. Matthew 12. Your life is the product of your confession. And your confession only revealed what was in your heart. It's really not about how much money you have. I've watched God multiply our money. We've looked back at the end of the year and looked at everything that we did and knew we didn't have the money to do it, but we did it all. 
Why? Because we don't believe that money is the determining factor in whether we can do what's in our heart or not. We believe what God said. Matthew 12. Shout, I'm changing. And if you don't believe it, you ought to say it by, if you don't feel like you're changing, you ought to say it by faith. That you're not going to keep having these raggedy confessions that don't take you anywhere. But you're going to get a confession that will produce what God desires in your life. I've seen people literally change their life in 45 days. People made a decision that they weren't tolerating anything. And if everything they decided they weren't tolerating, it went away. You know why? Because they changed in their heart. Matthew 12. Somebody shout. Hallelujah. Matthew 12 and 34. Say, I love the word. Let me tell you something. You have to keep yourself stirred up to have capacity to hear word. I don't care if it's 130 degrees in here. This word is life to you. The Bible says it'll quicken your mortal body. It'll cool you off while you're sitting here too. But even if it don't, you ought to say, I'd rather be hot in here, life that will change my life, than go sit in my car and listen to Power 92 and go home and still be broke. You got to learn how to position yourself to get what God has. You got to learn. She, she just said, you got to learn how to condition yourself. I started out saying that. You got to learn how to crucify your own flesh and say, you know what, flesh? Don't tell me again it's hot. I'm going to praise the Lord. Amen. Because God is trying to do something in my life that I want. So I'm going to participate in my own rescue by becoming a person who's able to sit and hear word. Amen. Be able to stare myself up and say, this is an area that I do need to work in. Stare yourself up, your own self up. See, I'm preaching and I'm staring myself up. That's why I'm going to get my breakthrough. The question is whether you're going to get a breakthrough or not, or the next time, next week when we testify about breakthrough, if you ain't going to have nothing to say. Matthew 12, 34, no, 33. It says, either make the tree sound and healthy and good, and its fruit sound and healthy and good, or make the tree rotten, diseased, and bad, and its fruit rotten, diseased, and bad, for the tree is known and recognized and judged by its fruit. You offspring of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance, the fullness of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak. It says a good man from his inner good treasure flings forth good, and the evil man out of his evil inner storage flings forth evil things. He says, but I tell you this, on the day of judgment, men will have to give an account of every idle word they speak. For by your words you are justified or acquitted or by your words you are condemned or sentenced now that's just what Deuteronomy said he says when you speak a word all heaven does is record it and then heaven when you ask for something goes back and plays your word to determine whether you should be acquitted or whether you should be condemned so when I say I don't have no money and then I need money, then I ask for money, then heaven plays and says, what do you really believe? And what you really believe is you don't have no money, and that's what you live with, no money. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
I can't never say nothing more than what I really am. Not just what's in my heart and a little bit. And that's why you ought to love the word. Because what your life is a representation of what you got in your life and a lot bit. Now, when I see that I don't have enough, if I'm, that my marriage isn't producing overflow, I got to hear about marriage to such a degree that it begins to produce overflow that now I'm living it. How are you going to be surrounded by poverty six days a week and think you're going to change it in a 20-minute offering teaching? You got to get surrounded by the thing that will change your life. And so here's the truth of it. Because this is the kind of truth I think people need to hear. You can love Jesus and go to heaven and don't never read another scripture. But you won't bring heaven to earth without more word in your life. The things in your life that's not changing, they won't change without more word. You got to get settled in what God is saying about your situation. You got to be willing to admit that when you don't believe what God has said, Jesus said it's evil. That when God says that I'll bless you and bring you out of debt and you don't believe that you can get out of debt, the Bible says that's evil. When you're sick in your body and you don't believe in healing, the Bible says it's evil. I know that makes everybody uncomfortable because don't nobody. But Jesus said that when your mouth speaks against what God has said, it's evil. It's just enemy against God. That's why Jesus turned to Peter when Peter said he wasn't going to be crucified. And he said, I rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me because what you're saying is against what God is saying. So your sickness, your poverty, your bad relationship, all it's doing is trying to stand in your face and call God a lie. Numbers 23 said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he can do it. The question is, what's really in your heart? Well, we don't have to look very far to know what's really in your heart. What's really in your heart is what's evidence in your life. We know what you believe about tithing by your tithing. We know what you believe about prayer by your praying. We know what you believe about relationships, who you relating with. We know everything about you by the fruit that's evidenced with your life. Um, one more scripture, then a story. Matthew, I mean, Proverbs. Two more scriptures. I lied. Proverbs. 4 and 23 and then Proverbs 18 and 21. See, the issue is not that God isn't trying to be good to you. The issue is our ability to receive the goodness that God is trying to outpour. So when my life isn't matching up with what God is trying to do, I got to do the work with the word. The Bible says the word is a lie. And I can't just read scripture for, um, for memorization. I got to read scripture for penetration for revelation that transforms who I am from inside out. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So I got to keep my heart. So I can't just pay attention to what I put in my heart in my morning devotional. I can't just pay attention to what goes into my heart on Sunday. Everything that goes into my heart is determining what will come out of my mouth. Everything that I expose myself to. So I don't expose myself to everything, not because I'm afraid of going to hell. I don't expose my every, myself to everything because I don't want to create hell. Are there certain things that you could read? Pastor Ellen was explaining to our kids why we don't 
allow them to read Harry Potter. Harry Potter may be great literary work, but Harry Potter is based on magic. We don't want our kids to believe that magic is the source of power. We want our kids to believe that Jesus is the source of power. So as a result, why would we let them sit down and read seven or eight books with four and five hundred pages of magic in it to get that in their heart to then have to try to dig that out? It ain't sin to read it. It's just how does it go with your vision? What's that new book that everybody talking about? Fifty? Fifty Shades? It, it may not be sin to read Fifty Shades. But how does 50 shades go with your vision? Unless that's the life you're looking for, why are you reading it? And I really think that that's one of the things that I say this over and over again, Pastor Edwin, and I talk about it. But I think it's one of the disciplines that people in the body of Christ don't understand. You got to guard your heart. When I'm going somewhere, I can't expose myself to everything. It will interfere with where I'm trying to go. It won't send me to hell, but it won't get me to my destination. It's the reason that if I'm sick in my body, I listen to healing. I'm sick in my body. I don't listen. Look, here's a great example. I'm going to the New Edition concert today because I like New Edition. But if I was sick in my body, I wouldn't be going to the New Edition concert. You know what I'd be doing? Going to Ben Heath. Why? Because I would position myself for what I needed to take place in my life. When you need something to take place in your life, you got to position yourself for what it is that you, God is not going to position you. You go position you. And when you position you, God will take you where you couldn't go. People are like, God, help me with my bad attitude. No, that's not how this thing works. You choose to crucify your attitude and then God gives you grace. But there is no grace while you run around cussing people out, asking God to help you not cuss people out. First, you got to close your mouth. Amen. Amen. Let's go. Proverbs 4 and 23. I got to keep my heart. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to keep your heart. What does that mean? I have to keep my heart from from exposing myself to things that don't look like God is good. I'm not telling you to be ignorant. I'm telling you that if you sit up and watch CNN all day long, you're not going to get a feeling that God is good. You just you can't watch CNN all day long and expect the goodness of God. You can't, you cannot want a good marriage and sit up all day and hang with people with a raggedy marriage and watch divorce court. Because you, beho- you become what you behold. Now, am I saying you should never watch divorce court? If your marriage jacked up, you ought not ever watch divorce court because you'll be seeing people on there talking about he do just that same thing right there. You got to learn how to guard your heart. Now, let's go to Proverbs 18, 21. I'm going to tell you this story. Pastor Ellen, get ready. Come on. Teach offering, whatever you go do today. There are secrets to success. Success leaves clues. People who are prosperous get that way intentional. I've told this story a hundred times. Here's 101. 16 years ago, when our marriage was jacked up, we knew seven, eight couples who also had a jacked up marriage. They were equally as jacked up. We exchanged the same kind of stories. We decided that we were going to change our marriage. The first thing we had to do was stop hanging with people who had jacked up relationships. Then we had to get around people who had good relationships, even though they sometimes made you uncomfortable because they proved how bad your marriage was. 
but we made a decision that we would not be at 10 years fighting about what we were fighting about at two years. I know people who have been in marriage as long as we've been married, still having the same fights they was having when they, was, when they first got married. You know why? They haven't surrounded themselves by anything. They didn't change anything. I literally know people who are still dealing with the same stuff at 40 years old that we was dealing with at 23. Do you understand it ain't no way in the world you ought to be having the same problem at 23 at 40 that you had at 23? You ought not be having that same discussion. At 23, you talking to him about coming in late at night. At 40, you still talking to him about coming in late. It ought not be named among you. But you all not date the same man at 23, at 40, that you would date at 23. He all not, you all not be dating the same man. Now, maybe when you was 21, if he just played video games all day, that was cool. But you grown now. What you need with a man to play video games all day? What you need with a man that would rather have rims than the kids have clothes? Eighteen twenty-one. Death and life, in our power, are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You eating the fruit of your mouth. You're eating the fruit of your life. Whatever's good in there, you created it. Whatever's messed up in there, you created. But anytime you can see here and understand, you should be converted. I said to y'all a couple weeks ago, the last time I preached, I said to y'all, it's time for the body of Christ to grow up. How you go do great exploits and you can't even sit in here to word for an hour? How you go do great exploits when you can't crucify your flesh to fast for 10 days for something you believe in for? You need a financial breakthrough and you want everybody to fast for you while you eating Popeye's. How, how is that so? How does that make sense to you? You taking advice from people who don't have nothing advice worthy. This is what we tell our kids. We say, before you come and tell us that so-and-so get to do it, look at so-and-so and ask yourself if you want to be like so-and-so. Before you come tell us that so what so-and-so get to do. Because if you don't want to be like so-and-so, don't tell me what so-and-so get to do with their house. Because I couldn't care less. Now, if you say to me, hey, so-and-so, is they're, they're, they're a world-class athlete, and this is what they're doing. Oh, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't consider what so-and-so doing. But if so-and-so sneak out in the middle of the night to go see her boyfriend, don't tell me about what concert she going to see. I couldn't care less. In fact, whatever concert she going to, let's run the other way. So there is this, and, and we, we've looked at this several times, the last couple of times I preached, I think it's Numbers 13. In Numbers 13, it talks about the spies, and it talks about how God had promised them the land. Tell your neighbor, say, God promised them the land, just like he promised you some land. So he promised them this land, and Moses sends out 12 spies, and they go out, and they look, and that they see that the land is everything that God said. It's everything. It's beautiful. It's amazing. They got grapes so big that two men got to carry them. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing land. And they come back and they give a report to the people. And 10 of the spies begin to talk about not how great the land is, but how limited they are. 
and they begin to complain about how big their enemies are and they begin to complain about how skilled in warfare they are and then at the end of the chapter they make this statement they say we are as grasshoppers in our own sight and so we are in their sight. And one of the things that always gets me about this is that they went into the land as spies. So the people did not see them to call them grasshoppers. They believed the people called them grasshoppers because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb, they're actually tearing their clothes in chapter 14. They are like, they, they are so distressed that the people would not believe God. They're like, forget about what these 10 say. Let's take the land. Man, this land belongs to us. God says it belongs to us. And they begin to tell the people about how they can take the land and how God is with them. And the people rise up to stone them. They're telling the people that they should live a better life. And the people want to stone them for telling them that they should live a better life. And so... 90% of the people say, we can't take the land. We're not strong enough. We'll never make it in. And Joshua and Caleb and a few of the, and the people that were under 40 said, we can take the land. We're well able. And they both got what they said. Because they didn't believe they could take the land. They wandered around in the wilderness. And the Bible says it was clear. They wandered around so the rest of them could die off. They wandered around until all the doubters and the unbelievers died off. And then they said, now, let's go take the land. They both got what they said. It's just the law of confession. You will always get what you say out of the abundance of your heart. They were crying and laying on the floor because in truth, they did not believe that God was big enough to do something through them. They didn't believe in who God called them to be. And Joshua and Caleb and all of those under 40, they possessed the land. And why did they possess the land? Because they believed they could. What you will see in the rest of your life, this is a season and a time for the miraculous of God to take place. And what you will see is determined on what you believe. Heaven is listening to what you say, not just when you come here, but what you say every day. What you say when you look for a job. What you say when you're dating someone, what you say about your marriage, what you say about your kids. That's why you got to be so careful about the confession you say about your kids. It's why you don't say stuff about your kids like, I don't know what to do with them. The Bible says the unction of the Holy Ghost will teach you all things. It's why you don't say about your kids, they ain't going to never be nothing. It's why you don't say about your kids, they, um, you know, they, you just like you're no good daddy. It's why you don't say that about them because then they become what you say. It's why when you send your kids to school, you ought to be telling them you're anointed to learn. Your teachers are anointed to teach you. The favor of the Lord rests up on you. Your teacher will teach in a way that you understand. Our kids will tell you, we do not allow our kids to tell us that they have a bad teacher. We stir up the unction in that teacher to be able to teach them. If you in that class, she go teach you. Now, she may be a bad teacher next year, but the anointing of God go rest on her this year. She go teach. We prophesy over our lives that we're going to love each other all the days of our lives, that our marriage will give good. We, we don't, we, we got a good marriage. We got a great marriage, but we don't settle for that. Every, we like, we going to the next level, whatever the next level is, that's how we go live. Our marriage is going to get better and better and better. 
We prophesy. We say out of our mouth, cancer cannot live in our bodies. We say that we will live long and strong. We will not die before our time. The number of our days shall not be cut off. We will fulfill the will of God for our life. We go down through our bloodline. We cancel every disease and every strategic plan of the enemy against our kids. We release the word over our kids and even declare there can be no car wrecks, nothing that would steal their life. They cannot even have car wrecks on the side, on the road. They cannot be hit by drunk drivers. They cannot be. So are you going to see the goodness of God? Stand up, begin to make some confessions. Pastor, anyone come teach the offering this morning? What will you do? Will you the pastor do whatever you want? Will you come up here? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I want to go back to something real quick. And, uh, you know, we talk about being conditioned for the word. And so I believe you are conditioned for the word. So I'm going to, I, want, I don't want this opportunity to pass without, without showing you something. Pastor Sean said something back there that, that really sparked uh, something in my life. Someone asked me a question the other day. Uh, they said, why is it that you, it was somebody from who I work with, they said, why is it that you and your wife seem to never um, have, have, a, have a down time? And it's not that we don't have situations in our life that could cause us to be down. But I, I believe when she hit on something in Matthew chapter 13, so I actually want you to go back to it, uh, in Matthew chapter 13. And the key here is, is what's found in verse 15, I believe. Uh, and, I, you know, the Bible tells us that we have to be, um, that we shall not be ignorant of Satan's devices, that we have to be aware of how the enemy um, how the enemy gets us to the place he wants us to be as opposed to the place where we ought to be. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we, we talk about the devil ain't got no power and the devil's this, devil that, and that, all that's true in Christ. But, but if you are not focused in, on Christ in that area, it's very easy for the enemy to pull you away. And, not where, and, in, in, and for those of us who are believers, not where things that are sin are concerned. See, everybody know, you know, the devil's going to come. The devil's probably not going to come to anybody in this church and just say to you, hey, let's go smoke weed. That, that's something you're past. But there are so many things the devil can get you involved in that will cause you to become dull. And I believe dullness is the reason that people don't receive. And so I want to I want to show you this. And I know she read it, but I want to show it to you. And then I want to connect a couple of things here because I'm telling you. It is the reason that I don't care if they sing the same song for five weeks in a row. I'm going to praise God like I've never heard that song before. It's why when Pastor Sean teaches, listen, I heard everything she was ever going to say today before we ever got here. But when she's teaching and I hear it, I don't care. I'm not going to just sit there and be on my phone or just sit there and be in the back. I'm going to say amen because that means it's so. And because I force myself to do that, I never get into a place of dullness. Dullness is the key that causes you to forget everything that God has said. Now, here's what he says in Matthew chapter 13. And you have to remember, when you read scripture, you're reading it from three perspectives. Number one, there's a history and cultural perspective when you read the word. Number two, there's a literary perspective when you read the word. There are certain things that are said that have dualistic meaning. So you read it today, and it applies to your situation. You read the same scripture two weeks from now, and that same word will tell you something else about your situation. But then you also have to read it from that third perspective, and that third perspective is from a practical application perspective. What does this word practically mean? 
And so you see this in Matthew chapter 13. He starts in verse number 12. He says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Now, when you read verse 12, we know he's talking about the parable of the sower, but you have to think about it in context of your practical life, okay? He who has a lot of word, who can keep enjoying word, will have more word. But he that has word but can't enjoy the word, even the word he has, he will soon find himself losing. So you wonder why it is three months ago you were so excited about the word, but you didn't keep appreciating that word. So now here you are three months later, and you don't even appreciate the word you used to have. He then says in verse 13, he says, therefore speak out to them in parables. He says, because seeing they see not. In other words, they had to see at one point. He says, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. He said, they don't even comprehend that they're not seeing and hearing anymore. And, and again, this is all going back to this, this statement he's going to make in verse 15 about dullness. He says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing ye shall hear. See, notice that. Because I hear, I hear word, I practice hearing word, that means I'm always hearing word. He says, because, he says and, and for those who, who practice seeing, I'm always seeing word. I'm always seeing what God is saying. He says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and, and shall not perceive. But I love verse 15. He says, for this people's heart is wax gross. Now, forget the people he was talking about back then, okay? Let's look at it from the third perspective of Scripture, which is a practical application. That practical application is for you, okay? Not those people's heart has wax gross. This people's heart has wax gross. That is the reason that, and, and for those of you who've been with FOC, ALCI for a while, you will understand that's the reason why early on we were in a cafeteria and was praising like we was in a cathedral. It's, it's the reason why some of the most miraculous things we still talk about happened back then. Why? Because we've been in this for a while. And when you've been in this for a while and you've heard 35 messages talk about being out of debt, the 36th message doesn't inspire you like the, like the first one did. And because it doesn't, then you don't receive what you heard when you heard the first time. So he says, he says, this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, here's the thing. What do you understand about wax? At one time, wax is fluid. It flows when it's hot. So it doesn't happen just overnight. So the first five times you heard the message about healing, you believed. But then maybe something didn't happen as fast as you thought it should. You say, you know, I already heard them 10 scriptures about healing. I already heard those 15 scriptures about faith. Then you become dull to the hearing of that word. So it's not that the word doesn't have any effect anymore. It doesn't have an effect for you because now it's flowing over something that has been, over something that's now solid. Your heart isn't like it used to be. And so he says in here, he says, for this people's heart is wax gross. He says, and their ears are dull of hearing. He says, in their eyes, they have closed. Now, this wasn't new. Jesus was speaking because he understood that this context of hearing word, but not having an affinity to the word, has often affected people. Keep your, keep, stay right there wherever you are in your Bibles, but go to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. And I'm going to see, can you guys pull that up on the screen? Jeremiah 6 and 10. 
Because I'm telling you, here's what happens. You come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and you hear great word. The words you heard today ought to change every area of your life. And, and, and the fact that people still don't, don't say, see, I don't say a man just to talk. I say a man because I need to get my, my, my soul man may not think it's so, but my spirit man knows it is. So I let my spirit man take control of my natural man. And when I hear truth, I say amen. I, I train myself. And, 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 and so I train myself not to get dull of hearing. It's the reason why I don't care who's preaching in this church. I'm listening like they the pastor. Why? Because the word that they say, it ain't about, it ain't about who preaching the word. It's, is it true? And if what they're saying is true, then I'm receiving true. Amen. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10, it says, to whom shall I speak? Here's what the prophet was saying. He said, who shall I speak? He said, who I'm going to give a warning to? Who am I going to talk to that they could hear? He says, behold, their ear is what? Uncircumcised. It's the same word uncircumcised that they used about an unbelieving heart. He says their ears uncircumcised. It hasn't been cut away. It still has things on it that's causing it not to hear. He says, and they cannot hearken. Hearken means to what? Hear and do. He says, behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. Why? They don't have any delight in it anymore. So when I hear the message about prosperity, I don't have any delight in it anymore. I've been hearing about prosperity for three years, and I still ain't got no money. So you preaching about prosperity, but it ain't doing me no good. And guess what? It won't. But I don't care if you as broke as you ever been. Somebody say you're out of debt, you ought to jump up and say, praise God, that's me. I don't care if it's 60 Sundays in a row and you still broke as Job's turkey. You ought to jump up and say, praise God, that's me. Why? Because when you stop doing that, you now take the word of God. It becomes a reproach to you. You have no delight in the word. So even the word that's designed to cause you breakthrough, you now don't take any delight in it. And, and literally, that is what she was saying when she was when she was preaching over there in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 13. She was saying the people's heart is wax gross. It's the reason that people are more excited about coming to church and leaving than coming to church and hearing word. Our, our, our enjoyment has been I made it. Now it's time to go. I'm telling you, I remember. And, and, and I'm telling you, it has to do with the people's heart. But I remember wanting to finish. Listen, when I go when I go other places, I ain't trying to be funny. I'm just telling you. And the people who've been with me, we can attest to this. When I go other places and preach, I have to stop myself from preaching. Why? Because they're pulling on the anointing. I, I'm done. My nose is exhausted. I've been up an hour and a half. I'm through. But they like, no, we want more. Why? Because they have delight in the word. They have delight in the word. So the word they hear is then benefiting them. So it's not that I preach. And I, we was talking about this one time. Pastor said, you preach so different when you go other places. No, I, there's, a, there's a different pull. There's a different pull on the anointing when I go other places. Why? Because they haven't taken delight in it. And that's why I say I don't care if it's me, Pastor Sean, Ralph, uh, if it's Nietzsche, if it's BJ, if it's Bijou, if, if it's anybody in the audience. If they're up teaching, you ought to be sitting on pins and needles ready to receive word. That's right. That's right. If I call somebody up right now and give a testimony, you ought to be up on, the, on pins and needles. I'm ready to receive word. So go back to Matthew 15. He says, for this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. He says, uh, he says, but if not, he says, any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, 
they should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Literally, what he says is any time. And that's why you have to make yourself respond to the word. You have, it's not about who can be the loudest in church. That's not what we're talking about. It's, it's not about who can show out. But, but, but it also ought to be not no, some, some church is so quiet you can't hear somebody say amen. Because we're not, we're not telling you just stories. When we teach, we're teaching you word. We're teaching you the truth. We're teaching what the gospel says. And you have to make yourself agree with that. And it's not enough to just sit there and go, mm, that's good. You have to say, amen, or I receive that, or praise God, or that's for me. Amen. How do I know? Because, I, because whatever you're excited about, you can't keep, you can't keep quiet about. Whatever you're excited about, you can't quit. That's, that, that's why if, I, if, you, if you engage Bijou in a conversation about fashion, you can talk all day. But if I engage her in a conversation about the new Common Core in education, she might be done after about five minutes. But whatever you are passionate about, it's what you're going to talk about. So when a person is passionate about the Word of God and the Word of God start coming forth, they ain't sitting back there playing Angry Birds. Hello? Now, I ain't got nothing wrong with technology. If you want to tweet, you want to Facebook about what good thing is in, but don't even let that dull you. You got to be careful not to let that dull you. That can't be your pastime instead of receiving word. So it says in verse 16, he says, but he says, empowered to prosper are your eyes for they see. And empowered to prosper are your ears, for they hear. Verse 17, for verily I say unto you, he said, there are so many prophets and righteous men in the word of God who desire to see the things that you get to see and to have seen them. He says, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. He said, if, if, do you understand we're sitting here today in church, but Moses would have loved to change places with you. He says, we're sitting here in church today, but don't you know the disciples would have loved to have traded places with you to have had Jesus living on the inside of them? And so it's, it's, it's really important that you understand that this dullness, if you're not careful, this dullness, the, you know, Pastor Sean talked about, about, about watching TV. And that's one of the things that we learned early on. If we got an issue in our marriage, if we got an issue with our kids, an issue with our finance, an issue with our health, you don't have time for anything else in that area. Now, don't get me wrong. We love to have fun. We're going to always have fun. But one of the things I don't think people do enough is that they have a problem in their life, and what they do is they find something to dull the problem. Now, because you're believers, you don't drink alcohol, but you watch TV. You read, you read a, 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 a fiction book, and, I'm, and there's nothing wrong with those things in and of them things. But a man who don't make $40,000 a year, a man who don't have his own car, a man who don't have his own place, ain't got time for all that other stuff. You take care of your first business first. And what happens is, is that we, we get dull or we allow things to dull us because when we become dull of hearing and dull of seeing, then we don't have to comprehend what it is that God wants for me so that I don't have to fight for anything. And now I want you to go to Luke chapter 11, though, because Luke chapter 11 tells us that it's very dangerous for man to allow a, a dullness of, 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 his, of his soul or his spirit. Now, Pastor Sean and I, we, we, we belong to a faith family. And some of, some of our brothers and sisters in our faith family don't understand why we spend so much time dealing with the soul. 
okay? Because a lot of people just believe that if you, if you, if you just, if, here's the thing. If I could come in here and just preach a message to you and then you just got the message and lived it, that'd be great. But how many of you ever heard a message and then weren't able to live the message? Let's just be honest. You, how do you know? You heard you weren't supposed to fornicate. Anybody ever fornicate? Don't raise your hand. I know you have, okay? Here's what I'm saying to you. We all have heard messages that were telling us what to do or what not to do, but we couldn't live them. Why? Because you've got to get your spirit man strong, but you also have to change your soul. And so we talk about the soul a lot because it's important. In fact, the Bible even says, I would that you would prosper and be in health even as or in direct correspondence to how your what? Soul is prospering. So we deal with the soul a lot. So I'm telling you, you got to be aware of what's causing you to be dull to the word of God. You got to be you got to be aware. You know what? I got this issue in my life. I don't feel like dealing with it. So I'm just going I'm just going to play connect four on my on my phone. On. You're being dull. Is there a sin in playing connect four? No, but you are being dull to the thing that you need to change your life, which is the word of God in that area. So so Luke chapter uh, 11 uh, and, and if you, I'm not gonna read all this, but in Luke chapter 11, the whole in, entire chapter really is this is this discourse that Jesus is having with these with these uh, with, with these with these religious people about the fact that he's casting out uh, the devil through Bezalbub, and and Jesus basically says to them, that's stupid. He says, a house divided cannot stand. He said, if I'm a devil and I'm a cast, not a devil, then that kingdom's going to fall. And so he goes to this whole long conversation with them. But what he says in verse 26 is so good. So let's look at verse 26. You can read the rest of it when you get home. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 26, he says, then goeth he and, and taketh to him seven other. Let's, let's back up to verse 25. Let's back up one, one, one more. Because he's, he's talking to him. He says, He's talking about how when he cast out a spirit, he said, if I cast out this spirit and his spirit leaves, verse 24, verse 24, he says, uh, if I cast out this spirit and his spirit leaves, he says, this, he says, here it is. Uh, verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone, Jesus is talking about casting out this unclean spirit out of a man. He says, he walketh through dry places and he seeks rest and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And he and when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Next verse. It says, Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last, this is what I want you to look at. And the last state of that man is what? See, so what happens is we come to church, and here's, here's the cycle that the body of Christ goes through. You come to church or you go to a conference, you hear this great teaching, you get excited about the word, you really believe you're going to live out this thing, you're going to do all the things necessary to live that life. You go back home, and you don't put anything practical into place. So for the next seven days, you've lived like you used to. So the thing that got out of you is now back with seven spirits stronger than what it was. So the, 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 the critical key with being dull is that being dull will cause you greater pain than it ever did in the first place. And if you're not careful, keep coming to church, hearing these wonderful words about how you want to change and what you want to do. It actually makes you become worse of a person if you don't stick to it. And I, I learned this through my own practical life. And I'm telling you that that, that that is what's wrong with the body of Christ as a whole, in particularly with FOC. In particular with this church. Why? Because what happens is you hear word, 
But you got to ask yourself and be honest. What am I doing? And I especially challenge the men of this church. What are you doing with the word that you what are you doing with the word that you have heard since the last time you were here? Because because it's not good just to be a man and come to church. Just because you're a man and come to church, don't I mean, yeah, it make you a, it may put you in a different boat. But if you ain't doing nothing with the words you heard, you're just like anybody out there on the street. You know, people say, oh, I was at church. Somebody saw me. So? So somebody saw you. What are you doing with the word that you have heard since the last time you were here? Because if you haven't done anything with it, I guarantee whatever got expunged from you is back with company. Now, 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 now notice there's, there's another place where this appears. Go to 2 Peter 2. Because I'm talking about this dullness. Here's the thing. You're going to get what you're going to give. Okay, you know what to give. You you know how you know you know how that works. So this is your offering teaching if you want to call it that. But it, but if you are if you are a person who is dulling your life and you're not hearing what God is saying to you on a daily basis, it is difficult for you to come and hear a word like you heard today and then go home and do anything other than what you've already done. And I don't want that to be your life story. Second Peter two twenty. I actually, let me, let me go to that because there's a second Peter two. I don't know if it's verse 20 or that. Now, now, now second Peter. And I remember we're talking about this, this dullness issue here. Okay. And, and second Peter, uh, second Peter is, is a, is a, is a, is a discourse that's, that's taking place. Uh, and he's talking to them about, about false teachers. But he gets to verse 20, verse 1 through 19, goes through all these different things, talks about Solomon Gomorrah in verse 5 and 6, and then he gets to verse 20, and he says, For if after they, talking about the, 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 the false teachers or the, or, the, or, the, or the people who have been converted to, to Christianity into the word, or you and I, for if after we have escaped the pollutions of the world, say, I have escaped the pollutions of the world. He says, well, if after we have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he says, if we are again entangled therein and overcome, he says, then the latter end for us is worse than, than the beginning would be. Now, now notice that. He says, he says, if you and I, we've gotten delivered, okay, from fear. We've gotten delivered from thinking we got to have a poverty mentality. We've been taught about confession. And here's the thing I'll tell you. We keep talking about confession. Don't answer this, but ask yourself, how many hours a week do you do confession? Now, we talk about you're going to live. And I'm being serious this morning. We're talking about that you live by what you say. How many, how many, how many minutes a week are you spending in confession? Forget hours. How many minutes a week are you spending a day confessing what God said about your life? And if you can say, you know what, I can't even add up the minutes. They so small. You need to make a change. You need to make a change because if you don't make that change, you have maxed out your level of living. And if that's where you want to live, cool. But don't come to church time. But I don't know why I'm not living better. Yes, you do. You know why. So he says in verse 21, he says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. He says, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb that the dog has returned to his own vomit and the pig has once again wallowed in the things she had been washed from. 
Now, now think about that. He says, he says, for you and I to come to church, to hear word like we heard today, and to go home and to live the same way we lived before we heard that word is a king to being a dog who throws up and goes back and eat it. To be a pig that you take out of the muck and mire, wash off, get it clean, and you take your tail and lay right back in that mud. Now, now when I hear that, I force myself to say amen when I hear word. I, I, don't, I don't care if they, sing the, if, they, if they sing the same three songs a hundred weeks in a row. I'm going to praise and sing that like I ain't never heard it before. Why? Because it's not about that. It's not about whether they sing the same song. Is that song true to me today as it was the first time I heard it? Because if it's not true to you, then that's why you don't get excited about it. That's why you don't get excited about the word anymore. Why? Because I don't already heard the word about prosperity. I don't already heard the word about healing. I don't already heard the word about that. But have you lived it? And if you have lived it, you want to keep hearing it to keep living it. And so to me, when she was teaching, I just thought, you know what? I, 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 when people ask me why I have success in the areas I have success in, that's what it's to. That's what it goes back to right there. Why? Because I don't make myself of any reputation like I have already heard something once before. I don't despise repetitive teaching. I do not despise repetitive teaching. If she come back and preach this exact same message next week, I will hear something different out of it. Why? Because the word is alive, it's powerful, and it's always working. So I challenge you, don't come to church like, oh, we're going to hear another message. Come to church like, I'm about to hear something I ain't never heard before. I'm, I'm going to come. And, and for those of you, I'm serious, for those of you who your technology gets in your way of hearing the word, leave that mess at home. If, 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 your, if, if your phone gets in the way of you being able to hear word, leave your phone at home. Make take you some notes when you get home, sit down and tweet for two hours if you have to. Now, I'm not saying that it bothers everybody. You gotta be the judge of that. I'm not up here telling you that that bothers you. There's a couple things I posted when Pastor Sean said, mainly because I wanted somebody to say, you know what, this no man heard before. But I don't sit on my phone for an hour and a half and don't say amen at all. <laughs> now, I'm just gonna tell you because I ain't scared of none of you. Now, that's just the reality. If it's getting in your way, if it's dulling you down, if, 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 if you got a proclivity that you can't post something and then get off and get back to the word, it takes you to, it takes you to the Internet, it takes you somewhere else, leave it alone. Amen. Because, you know, unless you have everything you ever have ever asked God and wanted for, you got reason to hear word. Amen. That's your offering teaching this morning. Praise God. Amen. It's time to give. So you go ahead and you govern.